that's what I was doing. So, uh, uh, yeah, we were, Caltech was beside our booth down in uh, Florida at the squat roundup. So, we're, we get to enjoy the MX one. Well, it was a gal, some gal, and then another gal. Yeah. I think uh, Kevin's in the mountain. You can dial up, Kevin. Yeah, I think, uh, what is it? Get that phone line coming in? Yeah, let's dial up. Remember that, uh, that ding, ding, ding thing you do when you were talking? Uh-huh. You just have a satellite. Uh, you'd have to pipe it in, you know, with a little satellite. You know, I mean, there yeah. was no, there wasn't even dial-up. Yeah, <laughs> getting it right through the airwaves. Good deal. So uh, Butch is coming in. Butch and Chris coming in real clear. Chad's coming in real clear. You're a little um, pixelated there, Kevin, but that's okay. That'll add to the the mystery of Kevin. <laughs> We'll get into it. Let's go. All right, lead heads. Welcome back to another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. We've got a great show lined up for you. But before we get into it, make sure you go back and check out our previous episode where we talked about bullets versus architecture, uh, where we had Ken Allen, Ken Allen Training on. And Ken has done some research. Uh, specifically, I guess he's trying to get it more for the law enforcement uh, community, but the effects that bullets have uh, against certain building materials, uh, specific, specifically when they're doing close quarter indoor uh, type maneuvers, uh, which is information that civilians can use as well uh, for home defense uh, and whatnot. So go check that episode out. We talked about different calibers and the effects that they have against uh, drywalls and brick and different other kind of building materials. Very interesting episode. You mean uh, bullets don't stop? Well, eventually, eventually they will. That's not what it says. <laughs> so they stop right away. They they stop. They ricochet. Uh, take all kinds of different paths. So uh, Ken talks about all that in our episode. Chad, you need to go back and and check that out. We talk about shotguns yeah. too. Twelve gauge, uh, the effects that they have and. You like that KSG? I just did a blog on that. You did a book on that? A blog? A blog? On, uh, yeah, just shotgun for home defense. Um, the things that people don't think about. Yeah. Well, we should, and we've talked about it before, uh, is turn your blogs into uh, the podcast. Bring your blogs and let's talk about them on the podcast. We could definitely do that. Because you guys are doing some interesting stories there over at Caltech. So that voice that you guys hear is our buddy Chad Enos with Caltech. Chad, welcome in. Thank you, sir. It's nice to meet all you guys, by the way. Kevin, and I forgot what the other, other guys' names. So we got Butch and Chris. Butch and Chris. Yeah. Nice to meet you guys. So Chad Thank just you. did our intros for our Cryptech gang. And uh, joining <laughs> us uh, from the Cryptech headquarters, we have Mr. Butch Whiting. Welcome in, Butch. Thank you, Lefty. Good to see you again. Yes, sir. Appreciate you jumping on and, and joining us for another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. Uh, and then with you, the mystery has been been solved. We've got Brooksy. We, we, we have found Brooksy. Where's Waldo? <laughs> hey, how you doing? Chris Brooks is now with Cryptic. So congratulations yes, on uh, the move up there, buddy. 
Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You should probably be uh, congratulating Butch for having me. It's <laughs> yeah. the best. It's very humble. Very, very humble guy. Yeah. He, he is. <laughs> and he's well loved by the lead heads. Brooks, he's been a regular on the show, and we're glad to have you back, Brooksy. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Absolutely. And then coming to us from another part of the country, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to disclose your location, but hey, and your video's coming in better now too. Awesome. <laughs> also with uh, Cryptic is Kevin Holland. Kevin, welcome in. Thank you, sir. I'm in North Carolina, so okay. no problem. All right. Yep. So we've got... Yeah, so, so Kevin's Cryptic uh, research and development and does a lot of... Uh, interesting things that we'll discuss that uh, further defines that role inside of cryptic. Absolutely. And uh, I think if you guys want to do this and I talked to Brooksy about it a little bit, you're going to be able to do a better, better job in talking about the backgrounds and, and whatnot of everybody. But um, if you would introduce Kevin and his background and talk a little bit about his expertise. So, as I mentioned, this is Butch Whiting, CEO and founder of Cryptic Outdoor Group. And Kevin's been uh, with Cryptic for a number of years. Him and the other founder actually um, served together uh, Clayhorn when he was done flying Apache Attack helicopters uh, with me. He went into the 160th and flew Little Birds. And actually, that's where Kevin and Clayhorn met. Clayhorn was flying uh, Kevin around and putting him on targets in third world shitholes and uh and kind of hit it off from there of course the passion for the outdoors and hunting was a common thread and as cryptic started to get some more momentum kevin moved on and started to work for uh, some government agencies as a contractor and we were fortunate enough to have the depth and uh, the resources to bring him on to the cryptic team with the primary focus and role of uh, product development, research and development, and then also uh, major end face, both in Navy special warfare and army special warfare. You know, Kevin uh, runs lead and interfaces with uh, tier one black soft elements, primarily for us and coalition soft units. Yeah. Is, is, I mean, I think it's pretty publicly known, or at least it can be Kevin's the only American that's ever been on SEAL Team 6 and in Delta Force. And then also Very worked, cool. worked for uh, other government agencies as well. So OGAs. Uh, right. <laughs> the old OGAs. Yeah. So, but, Kevin, let me ask you a question. It's pretty important. I think everybody wants to hear this. Uh, which one's your favorite movie? When danger is its own reward. We move out together, only together. There are men who will go anywhere. You guys are crazy. Proud of it, baby. Dare anything. We're SEAL team. We're here to get you out. They're Navy SEALs. He's sending you on a hunt. An elite fighting force. You don't gotta love it, you just gotta do it. Who don't know how to lose. Navy SEALs, they're paid to take risks. They're paid to die if necessary. We go in there, we hit them, and forget them. That's what we do. There's more to it than that. One is a leader. Let me take my team back in there. The other, a daredevil. Yeah! That's Hawkins. That's normal? No, that's abnormal. Together, they're America's designated hitters against terrorism. You're involved. Born to risk. 
we're gonna have company. Body just got bigger. Trained to win. It just doesn't look good. It just got worse. Charlie Sheen. Michael Bean. Navy SEALs. This is a hijack! The enemy doesn't care who they hurt. <laughs> Not how young. Daddy! How innocent. Me? No! How helpless. Please. It's a new age of terror that requires a new breed of warrior. We're members of Delta Force and we're here to take you home. America's elite anti-terrorist commandos committed to destroy the enemies of freedom because the stakes are more than pride. Sleep tight, sucker. More than honor. Move it, move it. More than justice. American, I want to negotiate. Do you hear me, American? Loud and clear. Because they're fighting to save American lives. The Delta Force, starring Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin, America's new heroes. The Delta Force. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you're the only person probably on the planet that can get stuck between those two movies. <laughs> yeah, let's just say we owe her something like that. <laughs> So it's an honor to have you on, uh, Kevin, and um, maybe we can get you on another episode and 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 talk about your your background in a little more depth. Um, this episode we're going to be talking about uh, companies, specifically American companies that have been assisting in the Ukraine effort uh, against the invasion of Russia and Putin over there. And these two companies have been doing quite a bit to to assist in those efforts. And we want to get details, but as uh, Butch had mentioned for you, you new listeners. Butch uh, is a former or retired Apache operator, pilot, and uh, he's got some time over there in Afghanistan and some other, like you said, shithole countries, uh, third world countries. Of course, Butch uh, is well known outdoor enthusiast, hunter, mule deer hunter. Brooksy also uh, big into the the mule deer hunting, which is awesome where you guys are in, in that part of the the country. So. Brooks, you give a little bit for our new listeners for you. Talk about your background a little bit. Uh, my background, I've been in the outdoors for shoot about 25 years now in the marketing and business uh, and product development roles. Came over here, what, five weeks ago now. and uh, Brand new. Brand, brand new. I think I'm the uh, newest employee here. And uh, so I'm in charge of the marketing integration role. Very good. Uh, and like I said, Brooksy's a big hunter. Um, I've been up to visit Brooksy a couple of times. We haven't been on a hunt yet. I'm looking forward to, to doing a hunt with you sometime. That's right. We'll get out and do something. Can't wait to do that. Uh, uh, and then Butch, uh, talk a little bit about your, your background with the Army. And I thought I silenced that. Sorry. Well, I served uh, 10 years, nine months, six days. So I separated as a major. Um, and during that whole time, I was a age 64 Apache attack helicopter pilot, as you mentioned, deployed numerous times to Afghanistan and Iraq and had the luxury of uh, leading a 
combat troop in Iraq under um, the guidance of H.R. McMaster. And, you know, probably the highlight of my life really was leading U.S. soldiers in combat. But yeah, that's the military background in a 10-second nutshell. I flew around and turned turned Hajis in the dirt for a living or took 911 calls from guys like Kevin that were on the ground with troops in contact and came in and ripped $100,000 Hellfire missiles off the rail and dropped 30 Mike Mike and that type of thing. So Now, you're also instrumental in in riding the high-energy tactics that Apache helicopters use. True statement, yeah. Developed uh, a lot of tactics. Actually, by really went back and resurrected them from Vietnam. Right after 9/11, we went into Afghanistan. You know, high high energy tactics were not in play. They weren't being um, they weren't being practiced or trained on at home. And uh, yeah, basically, we got thrown into the fire and were fighting at altitude to where we we couldn't uh, deploy our aircraft in the fashion that we'd been trained just simply because we were flying so high where the enemy was. And so we had to, you know, adapt rapidly to running fire, diving fire and those types of things. And um, when I came back out of Afghanistan, I went back and found the master gunner of the U.S. Army, who was a CW-5 that had spent a ton of time flying in Vietnam. And he gave me a bunch of his his, uh, ATMs, air crew training manuals that weren't even available that he still had from Vietnam. And those got repurposed into what is now pretty commonplace since the war on terror started, but it became a part of the doctrine, so to speak. And, um, and we also, you know, developed high altitude tactics as well in the war on terror. Mm. So there was quite a few things that, yeah. Now, did you give him his, uh, his manuals back? He, that's <laughs> the one thing that he demanded. <laughs> he wanted them back. Yeah. Cause I think I said, read, I read somewhere that they, those were the only one that, course that you yeah. knew of and maybe not they, the only ones in existence but the only ones they weren't, they weren't published on the Reimer library that's for sure <laughs> so they were very collectible very good uh and now back to chad chad enos our good buddy there at caltech uh chad by far, by far the least interesting person in this podcast will like to point that out <laughs> no not at all not at all chad is very interesting and uh chad talk a little bit about your role there at caltech and uh, chad is a competition shooter as well so chad knows his his way around a firearm well, first of all thank all you guys for your service and especially the the uh, level that you guys achieved and maintained and and all that throughout the years i uh, really appreciate all that um i am the uh, marketing person here at Caltech Weapons. And uh, as Marty mentioned, I just do a, well, I used to compete. I haven't done it in a couple of years because of COVID and all the nonsense that was going on. And Had a little motorcycle uh, I, accident too. Yeah, a couple bike accidents, but mainly just got <laughs> out of it um, temporarily because it was just such a pain to travel for a while. <laughs> so um, hopefully I can get those things dusted off and get back out there because it was really my passion. So I Love to do competitive shooting, although I wasn't super great at it. It was just fun trying. Um, yeah, other than that, it's just uh, myself and um, marketing guy here in the office with me. We're pretty much responsible for most of the stuff you see. Would that be Matt? TV, like, kind of stuff. Would yeah, that, Matt. Yeah. Of course, Matt. He's hey, listening. Matt. What's up, buddy? He's back there. He's always yeah. in the shadows. He just did one of these. Always hiding in the shadows. Love Matt. Good, Good that yeah. he's there. 
Uh, Chad's yeah. also a motorcycle enthusiast, as we mentioned. There, he's had a couple of wipeouts and over the last couple of years, but recovered nicely, recouped. <laughs> <laughs> well, just kind of wanted to get a background for so our listeners will kind of know the qualifications that you guys have and what we're going to be discussing with the the war over there in Ukraine is that you guys have the knowledge and experience and you know you've been there done that kind of thing and uh so chad and i were talking and this is kind of what got this subject uh, going was keltec recently had an opportunity to donate some weapons to to ukraine and chad's been all over the national news talking about it been on fox and a, a couple of the the big name networks there uh, but he hasn't really been able to tell the story behind all that and i wanted to get chad on to give him and keltec which keltec are sponsors of the talking Lead podcast as most of our listeners know and uh just wanted to give you a platform to really share the information to our listeners in america that uh, what you guys have done and i think what you're going to continue to do as well yeah i appreciate that uh i would like to get um the other guy's opinion uh on this war to sort of lay a baseline for what we're going to discuss today because they know a lot more about what's happening on the ground over there probably than I do. Uh, we do have friends on the ground there. Um, so we have gotten some reports back about, you know, what's really happening and, you know, all of the um, um, political crossfire and stuff, yeah. so to speak, that's going on over there. And we've gotten a lot of hate for donating these firearms and promoting, uh, you know, that other companies send um aid humanitarian supplies which is what these firearms are humanitarian supply for uh you know people on the ground over there that are that are capable of defending themselves and again this is just a super small donation in the grand scheme of things uh this isn't we didn't send combat weapons over there we sent basically personal self-defense weapons over there for people that might be escaping via truck train you know whatever it might be or on foot even yeah uh, so they've got something in their hands. and um, Now, Kevin's been over there. He's actually yeah. had uh, boots on the ground, so he can probably talk to that. Yeah, so I would like for you guys to sort of maybe tell your story about, or, you know, your thoughts on what's happening over there, and then uh, we can go, you know, we can get into this and hopefully shut some of these these haters up um, that, aren't, that just aren't thinking a big picture and what it would be like if another country – were to invade the U.S., you know, if we were sending out free guns to you, I don't think you'd be complaining about it. So, um, and the biggest thing we get, um, just to let you guys know, uh, you know, why would we supply guns, you know, to a corrupt government? That's the number one um, yeah. thing we're getting, uh, you know, kickback on and our backlash on. And uh, my question to them is, which government is not corrupt? You know, we want to send guns to that government because our government is probably the most corrupt we've ever seen. <laughs> so, and we send firearms all over the U.S. Well, that's going to be day. one of our, our questions as we that's get that. into that is, you know, I was going to get into uh, your feelings on the corruptness. Or do you feel that the aid that you're sending over there is actually getting to the individuals or groups that it needs to, to get to? Uh, but you guys want to address what Chad just said, please. Well, it's kind of an interesting bridge gap because you have two different cryptic stories here. One, cryptic proper, the headquarters where Brooksy and I are sitting, we've provided gear um, and primarily apparel uh, to resistance fighters that have um, requested it. And how did that come up? We didn't blindly send it. 
um, we had actually associates that are Ukrainian that are here in our community that were getting on planes and going back to go to their villages and their houses and basically fight with their cousins and their uncles and their grandfathers and family members. Yeah. And so we provided them uh, combat apparel, cryptic combat apparel, BDU pants and tops and gloves and beanies and hats and shit like that that um, they just didn't have in their assortment, right? And then they hand-carried product with them. We've shipped product as well uh, for their community and basically what could be considered, you know, a local militia. Um, so we're not providing it to the government per se. Right. Uh, we're providing it to a community that we have a connection to. And, you know, it's kind of hard uh, to say, you know, um, when you got somebody that is that passionate, uh, these guys are uber patriots, what they went through like in 2014 and 15 and some of the stuff these, these you know, when they were very young, these they're some of the most patriotic individuals that I personally have met. And, you know, for us, it was a, a no brainer to provide gear especially at the level with a personal connection. Yeah. Now that, to tee up and give the mic to, to Kevin yeah. and to the comments that have been dropped, he's actually been over in the Ukraine uh, and doing, you know, much more in-depth work on the ground. So before Kevin, we get to, before we get to Kevin, I want to ask you uh, to the level that you guys from headquarters have been providing, because Kevin's doing something completely different than what, you guys are doing what kind of governmental red tape bullshit are you guys running through as far as sending the equipment and gear that you're sending or you have do you have to there isn't any there's there there's no uh there's no regulation on apparel and or in this case camouflage one of the things that these guys face if you you may see like it's very difficult at times to tell the difference between a Ukrainian and a Russian. And in, in a lot of cases, you'll see like a red arm tape versus a yellow arm tape or however they're identifying friend or foe. And so, you know, there's a functionality of camouflage and combat apparel. It's more durable. It's got the pockets for accessories, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. But then it's also there's a functionality of identify friend or foe, which is pretty important or can be important when you're in an environment where, it can get complicated and everybody's kitted out. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there there's no red tape on our part. And you've not met with any resistance from the government or anything saying, hey, you shouldn't do this or or anybody else? Cryptic, Cryptic Outdoor Group has not, proper has not met any resistance with providing um, apparel to Ukrainians. Ukrainian citizens. Because you said you're not sending it to the government. So that's good that's on fair. your part. So that that kind of, I guess, eases up the the notion that maybe it's not getting to the people that it needs to get to. You guys have a direct line to the people that it's right. going to and needs to get to. These are nothing more than folks that are taking up arms to protect their loved ones and, and their personal properties. Yeah. Uh, zero government connection. Very good. And now let's go to let's go to Kevin and Kevin tell us tell us uh, what your functions and duties have been over there since since your trip. All right, so uh, I actually met a gentleman through uh, Cleghorn, uh, Josh Cleghorn, the other owner of Cryptic, 
that lives in Idaho. Which has never and, been on the show yet, by the way. I don't know why he's <laughs> avoiding us, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So, uh, uh, Josh, I mean, you know, we just, he introduced me to this guy and I, you know, and the guy's been trying to get me to go work for him or do trips with him, or whatever. He's a, a retired special forces guy. And he does stuff all over the world, and and I just haven't had a chance to go, you know. And so he calls me up uh, about a month ago, uh, and he's like, "Hey, uh, would you be interested in going on a? Uh, there's some people we need to extract out of the Ukraine. Um, well, this they're in Kharkiv, which is eastern Ukraine. And were these uh, U.S. citizens? Hmm, Ukrainian citizens. They were Ukrainian. Okay. Yeah, and so. Uh, I, uh, in a past life, I had trained the Ukrainian special forces. And so I, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, that I could probably bring something to the table for this mission, you know? And so anyway, so, uh, uh, cryptic let me go on this. And so I decided that, uh, uh, I'd roll with this guy. And so we went to Poland, uh, got on a train. It's about a 28 hour ride on a train to get, yeah, to get to Kharkiv. And, uh, and they, they basically give you a, uh, a piece of bread and like a piece of, uh, a cured, uh, fat back side meat to eat on that train. <laughs> Some water. So there's no party car where you can get whiskey and hang out. And like... There's no alcohol. They don't allow alcohol either, you know, right now, because I guess they don't want them getting into the bottle so that, you know, they won't fight or whatever. So they don't, it's, it's, it's banned right now. Oh, so there's, there's none of that going on. So really, you know, so uh, you're slicing that stuff real thin and eating it on bread and you're 28 hours. So at about hour 15, we started eating. So, you know, it was, it was like, okay, we're going to eat this. So we ride, ride this train to Kharkiv and, and the, the company that had hired us to get these people out is a tech company. And they were wanting to get these people out of the country uh, to keep their business going, but also to be able to help against Russia. Uh, to uh, Was it an American have- tech company? Well, the owner is American. Okay. Yes. That's how he, he contacted the owner of the company that I went with. Gotcha. And that's, uh, that's how we got in there. So anyway, so we get these people uh, loaded up, we get them on buses, we get them moving out. And, uh, and I was telling you earlier, uh, before we got on the podcast that, uh, uh, after talking to the guys, I knew a couple of the guys that were Ukrainian, you know, the yeah. special forces guys, and they're like, hey, can you train us, you know, on a on a javelin, you know, how to shoot a javelin? Because they just, I guess, it, they weren't the uh, uh, the people that they were running. There was only a couple special forces guys, and then there was the uh, home guard, basically the national yeah. guard guys that were defending the city of Kharkiv, and which is basically almost surrounded right now. And they're rubbing the city with artillery and cruise missiles. It's terrible. So. Uh, I'm like, sure. I've shot ja- a lot of plenty of javelins. I can train you on it, you know. So they come carrying this thing in and in the case, and they open it up, and it's not a javelin. <laughs> <laughs> it's an in-law, a British uh, anti-tank uh, uh, rocket. Yeah. You know. So I'm like, hmm. I said, well, I said, you guys just give me a couple hours to go through this thing, you know. And I said, so I went through it, and I ended up figuring out how to shoot it and not kill myself, and. So I ended up uh, training a couple hundred of these guys on how to shoot this rocket. And I mean, it's, it basically it's, 
it's pretty close on how, but it's, it's, it's a little bit less uh, technical than a javelin. So we figured it out and ended up training them on the thing. They actually went out with them a couple of times uh, on their, on their missions while I was there. And then we ended up, our contract was over, ended up exfilling out of, uh, uh, got on the train, exfilled out. So. So you were actually, you actually did some training on, on ground in personal, uh, personal yeah. training there with those guys. On something you didn't know about, but learned in <laughs> a few minutes. Uh, yeah, it was, it was weird. But, how uh, effective was the the law versus the javelin? The in law versus the javelin. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a rocket that's good to like a stationary target six hundred meters, a moving target four hundred meters, and it's uh it's a it's a pretty good weapon. It's it'll it comes in from the top or from the side. I learned all about it. I had to. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, they were, uh, uh, very appreciative of, uh, of the help they receive and anything they get, you know, they're just, because they really had nothing, you know, rusty AKs and, uh, you know, some, some old pistols. So, yeah. Now were these actual, I think you said that were these guard members, is that what they were? Are these actual citizens? Well, these are home guard. I mean, they joined the military, which is kind of like our national guard. Yeah, like our National Guard, just, hey, they're in their area, they're in the city, uh, or the Russians are surrounding the city of Kharkiv, and uh, and this is their National Guard that's fighting these Russians. And so the Russians are basically sending artillery rounds into the city, cruise missiles. Uh, they sent a cruise missile through their, basically, their White House, which is, uh, Kharkiv's the second biggest city in Ukraine. Yeah. And so I think the uh, probably the day before I got there, they'd sent a cruise missile into their uh, uh, their White House equivalent in Kharkiv, uh, and it went like through every floor of the building, which is a ten story building, all the way to the bottom, Jeez. and exploded into the bottom of the the building, killed a bunch of people, and so pretty much wiped out. So they had to move. So we were in the uh, a basement of a parking garage, running operations out of that parking garage. Holy cow! Now, did yeah. you meet any resistance or flack in going over? No, none whatsoever. Yeah, well, that's good. Now, yeah. so a little side mission on your main mission. Uh, you got a little little training in. Yeah. Uh, so, so the evacuation, how did the evacuation go, and what uh, what did you use? What assets did you use for that? So we, uh, we basically rented uh, buses and hired drivers, and we had a police escort for part of the way because the reason I stayed behind uh, was to give those guys a uh, – the police escort was to get those guys going. They provided us the police escort if I provided the training, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, they didn't say that, but it, it just kind of – was like one of those, hey, uh, you know, because I'm like, look, I mean, that's our contract is to get these people out. Uh, and can you guys help us with, you know, police escort? And they, they did. They escorted the thing all the way back to Levine, which is. Yeah. So they were like, you show us how to do it and we'll help. Absolutely. So it's an yeah. incredible distance. It's like driving across Texas. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Wow. And, so, and they were driving. So these it took days, you know, so they needed an escort because they would get stopped and uh by police and and so and and the guy that was i was with actually had went with the the buses and he was armed because the people in harkin armed us uh they're like hey it's it's just like uh stalingrad so hey you better take this gun because you might need it yeah and so uh you know and if you don't have a permit for a weapon you know you're in trouble so he needed that police escort to get those people going and so in a few days probably three days after they left 
I got, I got on the train and I took off, but I had a bunch of, uh, uh, SSE sensitive site exploitation of a lot of Intel that we had in a huge bag. And so I've got that on the train with me and I've got a gun and everything else. And so I met, uh, the uh, Intel uh, agency for Ukraine in Kiev ended up uh, contact getting the guys and handing them this big bag off the train and they come running up, grab this bag and I get back on the train and then head on to Lviv. So wow. that was the deal for uh, basically them giving us a police escort for those people to get out of there. Now you bring up a, a good thing. You said that as far as the firearms, they have to have a, a permit for that. They had just yeah. recently changed their laws um, their, their gun laws there, uh, to where people did have to have a permit and it was only under, it's kind of like trying to get a gun in New York or something like that. Uh, you know, you had to show a reason why, and you could only have it, you could, you couldn't carry it, uh, outside your home. You could only have it in your home, had to be locked up and blah, blah, blah. But then sometime around like February or March, um, they basically, you come show them an ID and they would arm you is... It's kind of how I, in a nutshell, how I heard it uh, had changed. Yeah, that's, that's for a Ukrainian citizen Americans. You still have to have well, a permit. Okay. Was, yeah. Makes but sense. not, I mean, you know, when you're in that situation, they hand you a gun and they're like, hey, here you go, pistol, uh, chest rack, AK. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you know? you're ready, you willing to help any swinging yeah. dick, you know, they're going to give them a gun, right? Yep. So, so, very good. So you just recently got back from that mission, uh, understand. Yeah. Uh, probably a week and a half ago. And I take it it was successful. It was. We got everybody out. They, they, we got the women and children, but they stopped the males leaving the country. So we got the males as close to the border of Poland as possible, and we put them up in uh, uh, Airbnbs and this, that, and other thing, so so that they can go back and forth, or the wives can go back and forth across and see the husbands and all, because males can't leave the country. Is so, that because they want them to fight? Yeah, and so we kind of uh, helped them out with uh, that. These guys are—I mean, they're good at technical. They're good at the computers. They're good at all that. So they're actually linked. To, I linked them up with the MOD, uh, Minister of Defense of the Ukraine, to help hack Russian. So they could do whatever. intelligence type stuff. Exactly. So now they're linked up, and so it's a good relationship. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And how about how many people did you? evacuate 300 wow yeah <laughs> holy cow nice. man you said a few yeah. buses jeez yeah it was a lot i mean we got we got people also out of uh uh coost it's a southern town uh, and, uh and then there's a town uh bless you and uh, kiev we got people out of there so i was the kharkiv part because it was the farthest east uh you know and and then uh those other guys got guys out and they met them in route and then everybody went to Lviv and then, uh, and then we got them as close to the border as possible. So that's where they're at now. 300. Did you, did you run into any, uh, resistance on the way at all? Besides, besides the law enforcement that was checking you over? No, we didn't. Uh, basically we, uh, had pretty good Intel on where the Russian checkpoints were and this, that, and the other thing. Cause Russian checkpoints, they pull the Americans out and shoot them. So, I mean, you know, we definitely wanted to avoid those. Uh, we didn't want to get in a gun battle with anybody. So uh, it was just one of those, uh, the, the police would go in front of the buses. And I got, I was on the train. When I left, the, I, I was on the train. And so it was just one of those, uh, that's the really the best way to travel there is by train. 
So, so when you were there at that point, the Russians had infiltrated that far in? Oh, yeah. I mean, they were wow. – uh, I don't know. We were we you could see the Russians, and so you know, oh, and God. so it was it was close. So what did they arm you with? I had an AK seventy four. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, was it and fresh had, out of the box? Was it a newie? No, it wasn't new. It was just it one they it had in a big pile there and handed it to me, and so and then I got a Stetchkin a Stetchkin pistol, a Russian like fully automatic old pistol that they had, and. uh so yeah, I mean they, you know, they took care of me, you know. I mean, it was, yeah. What, what kind of loadout came with that? Like how many, you know, what kind of mags? How much ammo and stuff they give y'all? Yeah, I got six mags uh, for the rifle, full mags, and that's all the ammo I got. And then I got uh, four mags for the pistol, and uh, they were all fully loaded. So yeah. yeah. Now I know why you don't want to get in a gunfight over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the reason I asked if it was if it was new because we're seeing pictures from the media and you know again media. Uh, but it's like these crisp, brand new, you know, AK-74s that there's, you know, you're seeing the civilians with and whatnot, like they just cracked them out of the case kind of deal. Uh, uh, no, I mean, what I saw, nobody has. A, I mean, we honestly, we took, I mean, we took some off of dead Russians that, that were in pretty good shape. I mean, they were like, they had rails on them and, and all that. So uh, uh, one of the guys switched uh, his out for that one. <laughs> And so, uh, smart move. Anyway, smart move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, in 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 the experience that that you had being with those guys, uh, kind of what was their mindset? The the soldiers and the the people that were the fighting the war. I, I think they'll fight to the death. I think they're they're one hundred percent. They're in it to uh, win it. They're in it to win it. I mean, and so uh, there's no. They're talk. They talk negotiations and all this stuff, but they're not giving up that city. They're not. They're not giving up Kharkiv. I mean, they're not. You know, he might talk about, uh, oh, they're going to draw a line, this, that, and the other thing, but it'll be an unconventional war. Uh, even if they do come up with something, the, yeah. they're still going to be just. It's going to be fighting for for a hundred years. Well, the so. the news that you're hearing in the last couple of days is that Russia is is pulling out. Um. What what do you what are your feelings on that? Do you think that's actual or? Well, I think that... I think they're pulling east because they own the east kind of. You know, regrouping. I think that Kiev's a little. It's a hard nut to crack right now. Uh, if they decide to come back, I think they may come back with uh, maybe some kind of chemical. I mean, it really because fentanyl's the big fear right now. Oh damn! Yeah. Yep, and fentanyl's what uh, you know. You have to have an epipen. If you don't have epipens, you die in thirty minutes. So that's the that's the thought process right now. I think that's what their biggest fear is that they might. That's might might be why he's pulling. Why he's guys pulling back. everybody out, and he's going to use the chemicals. Maybe you know. Anyway, so that's that's. Yeah, you that's never just, know what that guy's going to do. What you never know what he's going to do. So, so along those lines, I got a couple questions for you, Kevin. So um, besides the the bombings. Um, like you personally, what's, what sort of like Russian brutality did you see on the street? If you saw any at all? Yeah. Yeah. What you really see is, uh, that they just indiscriminately will just, they'll bomb a neighborhood, they'll artillery they'll I mean, and the jets will come in and it's just like an apartment building, you know, and they'll just level the thing, you know? And I mean, there's, there would be people laying everywhere. We would go out with the, with the guys and they're, and they're like picking people up off the streets, just body parts. 
And wow. you're just like, what the heck? Why are they, why are they bombing a, an apartment building? You know, I mean, in rubbling it, you know, and that was the biggest, uh-huh. uh, I, I, I didn't understand that part. I can understand them sending a cruise missile into their, their military headquarters, but it was just one of those senseless acts that was happening because they were sending artillery in uh, probably hundred yards from our, where we were staying our hotel. So it was, uh, it was eye opener. I had to ask because, um, you know, we obviously can't trust everything the media says as of late. And, um, I've seen some reports of them bombing hospitals. Um, and like you said, just indiscriminately, you know, bombing neighborhoods and apartments and stuff. So I, I didn't know if that was true or not. And, uh, the people that we know on the ground had gotten out early, so, uh, they can't give us any eyewitness account to any of that kind of stuff. I don't think it's so indiscriminate. I think they pick a building to, to shoot at and they shoot at that bill. I, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's not like they're just launching stuff everywhere. They're going to, it's like a grid. They're, they'll hit a grid for like all night long and just keep you up all night with all the, and you, the next day you go, cause we go check it out and they're just dead people everywhere. Civilian. Yeah. Is it psychological? You think is why they're doing that to get the people to quit fighting? It's the Russian way. It's the Russian way. The the Russian way, way. What's the biggest uh, misconception or, error that you see the media is reporting well you see all the wins and you know and and it's, it's just like oh yeah they're doing great they're doing great well i was with them and they don't have all the everything that you think they have you know they're like you know so they're holding on if, if russia gains air superiority then it's over mm-hmm. and that's my yeah. next yeah. question too is uh, how do you guys feel and i'll you know i'll start with butch how do you guys feel about the requests to shut down the the flyover shut down the airspace it's just a slippery slope with nato involvement and the u.s involvement and you can just see how even biden gets off nine words on his teleprompter how it can cause such a turmoil with communications but as far as providing them, you know, MIGs out of Poland or MIGs out of wherever they may come from with pilots that are in country, I think that's a fair ask. As far as, you know, NATO's involvement in actually taking control of the airspace, you know, I mean, those are big boy decisions. Mm-hmm. And folks like us, you know, don't even have an inkling of the second and third order effects of those types of decisions. So, you know, there's certain discussions that are occurring that um, we're not privy to all the information, but I do know the bantering and the and the saber rattling that's most troublesome out of that is, you know, you're up against a near-peer nuclear weapon holding entity. And, you know, this is stuff that we thought we wouldn't be talking about anymore in our lifetime. Yeah. And so those decisions have long-term, you know, potentially super significant ramifications. So as far as the air superiority, my opinion would be if we can get them airframes, whether they're combat airframes or humanitarian airframes, and they have the pilots that are in country, or there's guys that are willing to jump on the mercenary bandwagon, contractor bandwagon, and go in and deploy those airframes, you know, by all means. But to actually put the NATO sanction of approval on you no know, fly zone, I think is a very dangerous proposition and an overall very strategic. Uh, because you know, if they process. if they do that, then they have to enforce it. 
And then that puts them immediately. Conflict. I mean, who's going to, you know, who's going to be the ones that are either shooting down Russian aircraft or patrolling the airspace or whatever it may be. So I think it's a real, it's a very uh, contentious situation when it comes to NATO's involvement and the Do US's they have anything like an Apache in their, their arsenal? The, the Russians do. Well, the Russians do, but the Ukraines? I'm sure they've got uh, some airframes, but I don't know if it's to the level of what the um, what the Soviets have, you know. And quite frankly, I've seen some some videos and stuff that I'm super shocked we are not seeing on the news of uh, the Ukrainians just absolutely smacking the shit out of uh, Russian Hokums, um, which are there would be their equivalent to H-64 gunships. Hmm. A little different, but. I mean, are uh, you surprised we're not seeing that, really? <laughs> that the media is not been some, but not to the extent of what, you know, the success that the Ukrainian resistance is having, you know, deploying Stinger missiles against helicopters, which are, you know, they're intended for fixed wing, but they work really well against helicopters, yeah. too. I mean, that's what the Afghans used to get the Russians out of Afghanistan. Yeah. Well, they've been upgraded quite a bit since then, yeah. so they are even better now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Kevin? I, I kind of have to agree with Butch. I mean, it's a it, it sounds good. To, oh yeah, let's just go wipe them out with her. But you know, you you don't want to be the one to cause what could happen, and so and you don't want to be the guy to be. You, you don't want to see one of our pilots captured by the Russians, and you know, I mean, it is what it is at this point. Uh, I think if we can get people in there. Uh, and give them the right tools, you know, and you can do that without coming out and saying it, you know, that's what we're doing, you know, yeah. and, and, you know. If, well, the if United you States the, is really good at that. Yeah. yeah. If you give them the right tools, if you give, uh, you know, I don't care if it's Polish pilots. Fourth you know, party like, people, yeah. Go next. So if, if I was Poland, I think I would be like, hey, let's, let's go over there and, you know. So, but, uh, you know, you can go about it in a way that you don't start World War Three. Sure. So since we're not, doesn't appear anyway, um, I mean, if I were a top level government official, especially the military and or the president, I would definitely not be telegraphing my next move. Um, uh, but it appears that no one's helping necessarily. So I know everyone always calls on the U.S. to help sort of police these things. And to be honest with you, if it's for a sovereign nation that's an ally, then by all means, we should be helping them support, in my opinion. Um, but there's so many European countries that are allies, and I don't I don't hear any stories about any of them stepping up and helping um, with this resistance. Have you guys heard of any anything going on along, along those lines? Actually, yes, uh, and they are. I mean, I'm, uh, I, I'm actually shocked that I, when I found out that the level of, uh, our, our European allies helping, they're helping a lot. And, Good. and that's keeping, that's keeping the, the horde at bay right now is what all is being put in there. And this is straight from, you know, the Ukrainian MOD, you know, cause I had to, I, I was speaking with a, a, a chief of station of a different, of a European country and they were wondering the same thing you are. And they said, hey, can you find out if what we're supplying is being received, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And I did. I found out. And they said, look, this is a super sensitive subject, but we're we're okay with this country. And so and we're okay with the U.S. So, I mean, you know, so there's a ton of stuff getting in there. And that's the only reason they're not overrun right now. That's good. That's good to hear, Um, which leads me to segue into uh, um, what sort of support. There's a lot of people I know of uh, coming from the U.S. to go over there uh, to either train or put together fire teams or whatever it may be, um, put boots on the ground over there to help with this resistance. Um, What kind of support are those guys getting? Because I know if they were U.S. backed guys over there, they'd have all the support you know, they needed, I would hope. Um, but I know for a lot of guys that are just going over there kind of on their own necessarily, I mean, not necessarily on their own, but they're going over there because Ministry of Defense, uh, you know, signed a piece of paper, said it's okay for you to come over here and fight. What sort of support are they getting? Like what kind of food are they getting? Like what kind of travel? Um, you know, do you know any of that? I actually do. It's, uh, you're, you're getting no support from here. Okay. Uh, if, if you go and you don't, if you're not on a contract or something with a company of some sort from here, and uh, it may be a uh, uh, NGO, you know, or something from the U.S. or you know other countries, if you're not backed by somebody and you just go and you decide that you're going to go and get it on with the Russians, uh, you'll be put into basically a big battalion, uh, the foreign battalion, and and then if you have any military experience, they're going to put you in charge of 100 guys that don't have any experience. They don't have any gear and basically put you into the sausage grinder. So that's what happens. You're and just so fire at that point. Yeah, it's not it's not the best so, way to help. If you want to help, then NGOs and, uh, you know, getting in with people that actually know what they're doing, getting people out and uh, right. and go that route. So like you guys, yeah. you know, if, if our listeners wanted to to help your efforts out, you know, you, with the with the clothes and and Chad, we we got we got to get to talk about your guns too. I want to talk about what you guys have done too, but uh, sure. with you know going over and doing extractions and you know our our good buddy James Yeager with Tactical Response has gone over there to train the some of the civilians and, and citizens. You know, he's doing it on his own dime. He's not getting any kind of governmental support or anything like that that I'm aware of. Um, just from, you know, people like us that donate to to them to go over there and train. Um, for what you guys are doing, is there a way to help uh, fund that for you guys to make it possible? We're not set up to take any outside funding. Um, you know, there's a whole plethora of, organizations that have stood up and have you can send cryptocurrency if you want i mean yeah. nfts all kinds of crazy shit um i just don't trust those say, things you know <laughs> uh, i just don't trust that those organizations it's actually going to to what it's supposed to go to I and mean, i think a lot of people with these donations that have been set up or you know it's lining their pockets is what it's doing but i i mean but with know, reputable the, people like you people we know and we know that it's going to go um you know, that's the kind of organizations that we want to hook our listeners up with if they want, if they feel so led. Yeah. Well, I mean, if there was an outcry and an outpouring, I mean, we'd be more than happy to up the ante on something as simple as, you know, whether it's plate carriers or, or BDUs, um, you know, 
the the donations that we made again like i stated before they weren't done blindly they were already done with american passport carrying ukraines were born and raised there yeah. that we have personal relationships with that live in our community and in fact you know one of them happens to be a good hunting buddy of my dad's so um you know that confidence level on our side is way high that we're not just blindly you know sending off gear right. or off money or or uh whatever it may be yeah. and hoping for the best i mean it's you know and we that's know what i don't want our listeners to get caught up in too so if you are going to donate or you want to donate do the research on who you're donating the money or supplies or whatever too so you don't you're get- probably right though lefty i'm sure there's a lot of when the smoke clears, I mean, in every crisis, there's going to be folks that monetize somehow in the middle with, you know, collections on donations and stuff. And it's super prominent right now. I mean, a lot of it is either in uh, uh, humanitarianly focused primarily, you know, with uh, the border. Gorda um, Group is one of those that. NGOs that you guys were talking about. Uh, G-O-R-T-A, the Gorda Group. I think they're a pretty well-established NGO that uh, humanitarian set up for humanitarian relief and aid in situations like this. Oh yeah. You, there, I'm sure there's ones that are completely legit, up, upstanding and legit. Yeah. Yeah. So Chad, let's talk about the Caltech contribution. Uh, tell the story of sure. the 400 sub two thousands. You know, that's the thing a lot of people have asked until, you know, which guns did you guys send? It was the, the sub two thousand, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so for you Cryptech guys, that's amazing that you had a, dile- uh, a direct line essentially sending people from your community over there um, to basically hand deliver those items. That's that's so critical in making sure that they get to the right people. Um, we unfortunately do not have that luxury uh, due to the nature of what we sent. Um, so we did have to send those guns to um, the Ministry of Defense over there. And uh, we've got a contact over there. And uh, um, we weren't necessarily assured that this was going to happen, but um, the idea was to get those guns into the hands of people in communities that have actual experience, uh, be it, um, you know, former former um, military personnel or law enforcement in these different communities, just so that somebody somewhere in a neighborhood, in a house or a church or school or whatever, or especially on the trains that you mentioned or, you know, people trying to get out. Uh, they've got some sort of escort weapon as, as opposed to just being empty-handed and relying on a handful of people to protect 300, uh, such as in uh, Kevin's case there. Um, so that was the idea, was just to get something over there with um, with the hopes that other manufacturers or other companies or other people would, would uh, jump on board and donate and do the same thing. Um, because according to our our distributor that we had over there, initially these guns were going to go to a distributor. And uh, I guess they saw the writing on the wall pretty early. um, So they actually got out and uh, we lost contact with them. Uh, We've since reestablished contact um, and they're fine. Um, They got out okay uh, with their families and everything. Are they Um, mad you gave their guns away? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we told them, sorry, that order that you had, we we gave it away. Uh, But no, they were... um, they were ecstatic about it. And, uh, you know, obviously they're fellow countrymen. They want them to have uh, some way to defend themselves. And we figured 
Well, the Sub 2000 is uh, it's a folding nine millimeter carbine, and takes the ones we sent take Glock magazines. Um, so we thought it's a pretty a pretty good tool to have. Um, I think it'd be a great tool if I were traveling over there and I wanted to just remain, um, you know, low key, not have something slung over my body or something on my side. Just I'm just a normal guy getting on a train, a normal guy getting in a vehicle or whatever to get out of town. You can throw that in your backpack. Um, it takes common ammo. Um, it takes Glock magazines, which we all know are super common everywhere. And uh, we've been sending these guns over to Ukraine since 2015. So we know there's a lot of people that own them and have them over there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just we thought it would be a good idea because out of the box, it's got fairly decent sights on it, you know, iron sights. Um, they're very accurate. Um, personally, being an experienced shooter, I would engage somebody at 200 yards with one of those easily, um, if not further. Um, it is 9mm, so... You know, it's not a rifle caliber cartridge, you know. Not it's not heavy either. It's lightweight, day, but. so women, younger yeah. people, uh, easily maneuver, uh, easily to use it. Uh, not yeah, a lot of a recoil, simple, like you said. A, yeah, real simple blowback design. So, I mean, you can get it as dirty as you want, and it just it just keeps going. And uh, it's, just, it's basically a stick with a chamber and barrel. <laughs> so, yeah. it's not too difficult to operate. Um, like you said, even for an average uh, shooter or novice shooter, so it's an inexperience. Yeah, I mean, it's easy for anybody to learn how to use and yeah, yeah, easy to um, carry. So that that was that was the whole idea behind that, as well as like I said, trying to get other uh, companies involved to um, piggyback off of what we're doing. Um, we didn't, by the way, mean for this to become a media thing at all. Um, we submitted the paperwork through our attorney um, up in New York, and the Associated Press got a hold of that because it's public knowledge. And then uh, they turned it into a big deal and started doing a, the reporting on it. And then they kept contacting us to do interviews about it or whatever. So we thought, well, you know, we don't really want to beat our chest. We were going to do a press release. And we're like, nah, that just looks like we're beating our chest. You know, we're you know we're doing something for the Ukrainian but people. But when the press want, gets a hold of okay. something like that, you want to be able to dictate your own narrative rather than let them do the narrative for you. So it was you're, good you got in front yeah, of it. You're exactly right, and that's why we, we ended up doing that without without doing a press release. We just thought, well, let's just go in front of the camera and we'll tell them what we're up to. Um, and again, part of that was messaging to send out to other manufacturers saying, yeah, we're actually sending guns to people on the ground over there. So if you feel pressed upon your heart to help them out with any humanitarian um, need, um, especially if you're in the firearms business or you, you make ammo or you make you know, you're a magazine warehouse or whatever it may be. We wanted to tell them specifically what we sent. And if you want to send a bunch of Glock mags over there <laughs> to Ministry of Defense and a bunch of nine millimeter, they'd be happy to get it. So that was that became the message uh, for the media. Um, and we just wanted those, you know, everybody to know that we're trying to help the people on the ground over there. We're not necessarily supporting the Ukrainian government, um, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know a whole lot about the U Ukrainian government. And like I said, at the top of the show, like every government's corrupt. And I know that, you know, people look at the Ukrainian government as being this super corrupt entity or whatever. I don't know much about it. All it's I know ranked is as that one that of the most corrupt. <laughs> just, just, I said, it's ranked as one of the most corrupt just under Russia. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I would argue that the United States is probably the most corrupt because 
it's where I live and yeah. and uh, we see the corruption every day but um, you know there's the point is there's no government that's not corrupt you know but these people the civilians on the ground they don't have anything to do with that like we don't have anything to do with the corruption in our government right um, but you know when somebody you know sends a missile into a 10-story building and kills a whole bunch of people or whatever you know <laughs> those are just most of the normal average you know citizens getting murdered and stuff in hospitals and stuff and i just feel like we got to do whatever we can to help a sovereign nation that's being attacked and and i'm talking about again the government i'm talking about the people on the ground yeah so well, i think your message was heard because there's been several other companies that have stepped up and and donated things like i said earlier adam's arms yeah. has uh i think they're sending carbines over there ar-15s uh, they've got a shirt that they're selling to raise money. They've got a place um, that you can go to their website. ATN, the actual, the owner of ATN is uh, from Kiev. He's a Ukrainian citizen. Do you guys are you guys familiar with ATN, the night vision company? I'm not. No. Uh, they, they they make they make sort of budget sort of uh, you know domestic night vision for hunting and yeah. things like that. I think Not they the sent most some, expensive rent, some but, thermal yeah. binoculars or something like that, night vision binoculars over there, like $300,000 worth of stuff. Uh, and, of course, I mentioned uh, tactical response. James Yeager has volunteered him and some of his crew to go over there and do some training with the citizens. So the people that are sending the these firearms over there, they can actually get some training, good training, uh, on how to use those firearms that are being sent over there. Remington, uh, I had them lined up, but we had a, a scheduling conflict. They couldn't join us. I guess they've been sending ammo uh, over there. I don't know exactly. I'm not going to speak to what they're doing because they're not they're not on here. So, um, but then uh, the police departments throughout our country have gone and uh, you know I guess the their body armor and helmets and things like that they've donated to to send over there. So we've had thousands and thousands of uh, body armor, vest, and helmets, and I mean, no telling what else some of these police departments have have donated to to send over there. So, you know, as citizens, we're doing a lot. I think there's probably more that could be done, but again, you know, myself personally, you know, I run into the issue of I don't feel so confident that whatever I'm going to do or send is is going to get to where it needs to go. Um, you've heard reports of these vests that some of these police departments have donated have been stolen. People have broken into the warehouses where they were stealing them and, uh, you know, we're getting, getting a lot of theft and, and things like that too. So just, I guess, all part of, uh, the process, but it's really good that, yeah. that you guys have, Chad, the attorneys that you have for one, to be able to cut through the, the red tape to get those firearms over there as quickly as you did. Otherwise it would take months typically for that to, Correct. to happen. Uh, to, to get an export license to Ukraine um, uh, typically takes about four months from what I understand from our admin. Um, and after working with uh, some people in our government and the Ukrainian government, we got it done in four days, uh, which is record time. And we've actually had some people piggyback off of our export license so far to get stuff over there. And that's not something we wanted to advertise because we just don't have the admin to, to handle all of that. You know, if everybody wanted to jump on that, we'd be more than happy to if we could. Um, however, we are offering uh, our expertise and knowledge and shipping guns to Ukraine to anybody that needs to 
you know, if they want to know how to do it or how to um, get set up for it, we're more than happy to help yeah. with that. And I think the NSSF has a link set up or a page set up on their website that will help with that uh, importation as well to, to help expedite yep. it. Um, so I do. Yeah. Um, if you want to go there, anybody interested in doing that, the NSSF has some things set up. Kevin, you were going to say something there. I interrupted you. Sorry. No, I just, uh, that's, that's awesome. You guys are doing that. I, if you really want to know what happens to your, what you send though, I, you, you basically, you, I would probably hire, uh, retired S spec ops people to ship them into a neighboring country and then carry them into the country. Uh, that's kind of what the company I was with is doing right now. So, and that way, you know, exactly where the stuff's going and who's getting it. And you have a, you have a, uh, something you can reach out to and go, Hey, is there, you know, where is this stuff? You know, and anyway, yeah, the actual so point of contact. To- contact. Hey, well, where, where does stuff go? Who has it or whatever? And then, yeah, we, yeah, we have that all the way, uh, what in a uh, Poland, um, yeah. we've got contacts there for that. So, but yeah, this first shipment, um, since the ministry of defense over there kind of helped us get this expedited, we're, uh, you know, we sent that first shipment over there and then we just left the door open. Um, but yeah, we do have contacts in Poland as well. So, um, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens in, you know, from here on out. Now, did you, you're absolutely- did you guys get confirmation on where your uh, sub 2000 ended up? Not yet. Uh, no, in fact, they might even still be in transit at this point. Um, really? So we're not sure yet, but, uh, Hopefully, like I said, we do have some people uh, on the ground over there. Hopefully, they're honest people, <laughs> and uh, we'll, you know, we'll get some information uh, as soon as they're distributed. Gotcha. Send will. Next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's uh, take some listener questions now. I think we might have addressed most of them. Um, and while I'm looking up these questions, if you guys have anything to add, Butch, Chris, uh, Kevin, Chad, go ahead and and add to what we just discussed. Chad, you need to send some of those sub 2000s to Boise, Idaho. We'd like to try them out up here. (laughs) Chad, I'll hand deliver them to make sure they get there. I'll hand deliver them. What are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, They look super cool. I'd be happy to bring a, bring some to you guys. That's some other, whatever. I'll bring whatever you want. You guys want to set up a range day and I'll send you whatever you want or I'll bring them out. I think we should we'll do that. Let's do a, a talking lead range day there in Boise. We'll do a Caltech range day with Cryptic. You don't have to twist my arm, brother. You know that. <laughs> All right, PPRN. What type of camo is best suited for Ukraine? It's a pretty good question. Cryptic. Cryptic. Camo. Well, I think you mean which 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 of your camos? Highlander. Yeah, I think Highlander or Obscura is the most functional in terms of concealment. Um, I can tell you that the gear that we sent, um, a lot of it was in Typhon, which was our black variant. And that's because that's what the individuals wanted. They want, that's what they chose. So um, they're also a different mission set. It was more of a defensive, like checkpoint, roadblock type mentality um i think that's but in terms of functionality it it would be either cryptic highlander or cryptic obscura transitional 
very cool. See. Oh, that obscure is really cool. Yeah. Torag77. Can U.S. citizens make purchases and have those items sent to Ukraine to whoever needs them? So I think they're asking um, Chad if they could buy Sub 2000 and then have it sent over or um, any of your stuff, I guess, Butch. Um, yeah, we keep we keep getting asked that question, and and the outpouring is is phenomenal. The people that want to support, you know, people on the ground over there, but we're we're not set up for that, uh, at least not yet. And I guess um, we'll have to see how things sort of pan out. Um, you know, I don't know. We'll just we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, but I don't think they would be able to to do. I mean, they might be able to donate money, but they can't actually buy it and then have it sent over there. No, no, they can't buy it. But it would, yeah. It would, like I said, we're not set up for it. But if they did want to donate uh, funds to buy you know, whatever product and send over there. I mean, a lot of these people probably have family members over there that, you know, haven't gotten out yet. So, or, or sure. are males like then they, they can't get out. So yeah. yeah, that's just, that's a sticky, you know, that's, that's something that I haven't heard. And I'm glad that you brought that up. I, I wasn't aware, Kevin, that the males weren't allowed to leave country. Nope. They banned them from leaving. I think the age cut off is 16 years old and, and up. There's a there's an age limit, a teenager limit. I'm not yeah. positive on that, but yeah, it's no children can leave, but it's adult males, and I'm not sure much of the, the the age, but it's if you're fighting age, you're staying. Yeah. yeah. Do you know when they implemented that? About when the when the war they implemented that? It was uh, after I went over uh, because we had planned on getting those all of them out of the country, and we ran into that problem. Uh, you know. Probably around uh, the probably about the second or third of March, I think, okay. when that was implemented. I'm not sure exactly, but I know that it had just happened when we were trying to get these people out, and they're like, "Oh, now you can't leave," you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And I heard of the the Ukrainians that are over here, the Ukrainians that are over here in America, that they are sending them back or requesting that they come back. And there's been one instance that's been in the media where the kid didn't want to go back or whatever, and he's been trying to fight going back. Well, the problem is, is if you go back, you can't leave. Yeah. You know, until this is over. So you better think long and hard if you're going back, if you're Ukrainian. Yeah. Well, it sounds like they don't have a choice. I mean, they have a choice. There's individuals that are, you know, whether they're dual passport or they're just, you know, American citizens purely. Yeah. They have an absolute choice in many cases. Um, but they're choosing to go fight primarily for their families and what's happening to their communities. Well, I'm saying they don't have a choice once they're there. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think what Lefty was saying, they don't have a choice if they're if just they go back be, from here. There yeah. was one guy that yeah. was I think this kid was on a scholarship or something like that, a educational visa, whatever they call those. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I'm not an attorney, so. Uh, and this kind of goes oh, into that. Huh? I was just going to say, I don't imagine once you're in country, you can just like go, you know what? F this. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to fight anymore. Just get on an airplane and come home. <laughs> yeah. well, obviously, you can't. So. The Joker6981, yeah. 
It says, how do you all feel about Americans flying over to say that they want to help fight? So basically, Americans that are going over there, how do you guys feel about that? Wanting to go fight somebody else's war there. I think that's the gist of his question. And the Joker 6981 says, Me personally, I would never even think about it. I've done my time fighting in other countries' wars, and my family comes first before anything. The things that concern me are the true reason why they went over there or want to go over there uh, and how much training they have. Being an NCO when I was in the Army, always ask the big question, why did you join? A lot of the answers I got back from new soldiers were always the same because I want to shoot people. Don't know if I actually changed their reason, but I did talk to them, having gone to Iraq three times and actually done it defending the lives of other soldiers and myself. It stays with you, but that should never be the reason. Uh, Or maybe they think they will be some big war hero like in the movies. In the training, well, that's self-explanatory. No one should go to that type of environment without proper training. Not only are you putting your own life at risk, but you are also putting others at risk. What are your thoughts on that? Go ahead, Butch. If you don't have a definitive purpose to put yourself in harm's way, then you have no reason to be going into a war zone. It's one thing when you have you know, family and you're from there. It's another thing when you have a driven purpose and you have a skill set that is highly desired and needed, as Kevin did, to do uh, something for the good guys. It's another thing just to go blindly because you're, you know, trying to sow your oats. That's the most asinine thing I've ever heard of in my life. So there's qualified individuals that uh, are probably over there from the United States that are doing specific purpose-driven things um, that are able to also take care of themselves. But to the comment that came up there, I mean, until you've been in a war zone, uh, it's absolutely not anywhere near as fun as what it may appear to be (laughs) on television. (laughs) I mentioned it it earlier. Um, uh, You need to be backed by somebody. You don't just jet over there and say, I want to join the Ukrainian military. And that's a different deal than being backed and having a contract and, Hey, uh, you know, I'm there to do a certain mission. Like Butch is saying, you need a mission. You don't just need to go haphazardly go jump in there. And, uh, cause I mean, uh, the Russians just killed a bunch of them because they're on Instagram. They had their phones and, uh, you know, whatever, uh, giving away uh, their positions and stuff, Yeah, you know, and it's just like, obviously they weren't trained to be in that position. And so if they do go and they do, I don't recommend it. They definitely need to leave those at home. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you need a mission. You need, uh, you need, you know, why are we there? What are you going for? If you're just going to go to war, or try to get in on war or something like that. I'm like, Butch, I've been in a lot of war. It ain't, it ain't always cracked up. To me. So, yeah. And I, if I, if I can reiterate what you said earlier, Kevin, um, the mission, at least for me, would be if I had a particular skill set and I could go over there and help out um, and was available to do so and young enough, my knees worked, but uh, <laughs> I would go over there and 
my mission would be to escort people out to just be some sort of security force for you know people just trying to get out of that. So you'd be more humanitarian you know? than than battle. Yeah, because again, it's not it's not my fight. You know, it's not my war. And um, would I sacrifice myself for some free people? Absolutely, of course. But um, I wouldn't. It's just me personally. I know a lot of guys want to go over there and play army, like you said. And you're going to get a lot of those comments. We've gotten a lot of those comments. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'd I'd want to be over there just to kind of help people out, not necessarily serve in some sort of combat role um, where I don't have the experience or know what the heck I'm doing. I know how to like, you know, pan around and make sure <laughs> to see if there's anybody bad approaching somebody's trying to do us harm, you know, to take a firearm and and go into action best I can. But it, you know, my role would just be try to get people out of there. So. Anybody that's trying to go over there, I recommend, like you said, do it with some sort of support and don't just go over there trying to be, you know, some hero or tough guy or whatever, unless you know exactly what you're doing, have a shit ton of experience like these gentlemen have. Brooksy, you got anything to say to that? Yeah, you know, I think uh, we get all caught up in, in some of the stuff that we see on TV or in a movie or or hear about, you know, somebody through somebody else's experience and, and, uh, read about in the book. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Obviously we, uh, as men, you know, we, we say that we'll protect our family and our loved ones and our friends and everything. And, and we would, you know, we would absolutely do that, but you go over into another country, uh, one where you probably have no business being there, uh, as a civilian, you're not trained up. Uh, you, you may not be going into a particular mission at all. It just, uh, to me, it doesn't make any sense at all. You know, it's being brave and, and everything has its, uh, its good parts, but you know, you get over there and it's a different world. I just can't even imagine the situations that you can get yourself into over there. Yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. You just said it much better than I could. <laughs> all right. We'll do, uh, one more question here. This is Jonathan Gallup. This is from Facebook. He says, my question is, how does this end? I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So the podcast or the war? <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, I was wondering the same thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, assholes. So, Where's the whiskey? <laughs> yeah. Is, it, is the bar open there? Uh, so how do you guys feel? What are your predictions on the the future of this Russian invasion here? How do you well, I guess I'll go first. Uh, I, th I feel and believe that the Russians have a much different mentality than the West does with regards to how long they're willing to grind this out. So they're willing to... I mean, their objectives, if it takes them much, much longer than we would tolerate for that region, could go on for a long time. And um, and to say, how is it going to end? Uh, a lot of it's going to be how it's handled diplomatically. Um, but I, I, I don't know how it'll end. I do know that right now they're taking a pretty good walloping based off the support that they're getting and the, and the weaponry that's coming in and uh, at the same time, I also am strongly under the impression that Russians doesn't have its best foot forward, if that makes sense. So the 
elements and the units that they're up against might not be um, first string for lack of better terms. So uh, the, the end state though is it could go on for a very long time and not end for quite some time. Kevin, what do you think? I agree. I think uh, I think Russia's Russia's kind of a paper tiger. Uh, they don't they don't have the equipment or the motivated military that they need to conduct this type of operation uh, and successfully complete it. So I think they're probably going to kind of what's happening right now. They'll probably kind of pull east because they've already claimed a couple of places toward the east. And and then they're probably going to uh, continue to press, but I don't think they're going to press the rest of the country until they can kind of recoup from what the losses they've sustained so far, because you can't sustain the losses. They've already lost twice as many people as they did in Afghanistan, I think, in a month. And it was in Afghanistan for 10, uh, 10 years. So wow. it's crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's uh, – I think they're just, uh, they've been a, supposedly the second most powerful military in the world for all these years. People thought that was the case and it's not. So I was shocked to see, um, the equipment that was being shown, um, just all this old cold war, pretty much outdated garbage for most, for the most part, a lot of these guys, I was definitely surprised to see the equipment that was on the ground there. Well, I picked up night vision from the uh, uh, Russian soldiers that didn't need it anymore, and it was from Vietnam. It was Vietnam era night vision. So, oh my gosh! Wow. I think you? even our Marine Corps has gotten past that, haven't they? <laughs> I think the Russians hand it down to our Marine Corps, but uh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> Chad, you want to give a uh, analysis on your predictions of how it's going to end up? Well, I'll tell you this. The Bible says that men war because they have not. Meaning Putin wants this stuff, as far as I know. And I don't think he's going to stop until he gets. And I, I, I have to agree with what these guys said. Um, I, think, I think they're just going to, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a... You know, I don't know how to predict all this stuff or whatever any better than anybody else, but I think they're probably going to um, sit back and recoup um, because I think uh, you guys are right. I don't think the Russians expected to get smacked like they did. Um, and this is just, you know, for me, visually seeing what's been going on, people, what people are reporting, I think they got their asses handed to them and they weren't expecting it. And so I think at some point Putin's going to sit back and just maintain what he's already gotten. And then um, and maybe, you know, try this again and, and charge forward. But I'm hoping at that point that time has bought some equipment and it's bought some training for the people of Ukraine so they can actually fight back. What about you, Brooksy? Any comments? Yeah, I agree. You know, um, I agree with what everybody has said so far about I don't think Russia was intending to get smacked like they did. But what makes me nervous is to point out one of the things that Kevin mentioned is that if they're pulling back to recoup and to deploy any chemical warfare, that's that's what makes me nervous. You know, that that creates a whole nother issue. And uh, if that's the plan, 
that's a pretty scary plan. And at that point, if they do that, do you think uh, NATO will get involved at that point? Is that what it's going to take, or they still keep their hands out of it? I would think that they would get involved, but it doesn't mean they will. Um, well, yeah. NATO's already activating their CBRN elements and brigades in anticipation. CBRN is chemical, biological, um, response. nuclear uh, response teams, crews, guys that are trained in dealing with that stuff. Now, whether that's casualty collection or whatever, but it's somewhat, I mean, that's a real concern if if NATO's basically preparing those elements with those adjacent European countries, yeah. forces. Now, um, what's our president's name? Biden has slipped up a couple of times and, you know, said... He doesn't that, know it either. <laughs> I don't even know his name. Has... Uh, you know, said that he needs to be taken out. Putin needs to be taken out. Kevin, do you think there's a contingency plan in place uh, to take out Putin? No way. Not even a, a thought at this point. No way, man. He won't. He won't even go into Ukraine, much less Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. I think that's uh, unless you guys have anything else to add. Um, I think that's enough of the questions here, and let's go ahead and pick a couple of winners uh, for the cryptic. Was there a particular question that you guys like that stood out that you want to give the award the hat and shirt to? Yeah, the one that asked about the camel probably makes the most sense. Okay, uh, that would be PPRN. Email me PPRN. Tell me what you won, what episode this is. And uh, I'll get you in touch with, well, I'll forward your info over to Brooksy. Uh, and then, Chad, did you want to give away a Keltec little ensemble like sure. I'm wearing today, fashionably? Uh, something along Absolutely. Okay. Was there a, a particular question that stood out that you enjoyed answering or talking about? Uh, no, I just think it's cool that people uh, logged on to ask questions. So okay. you pick somebody. Uh, let me just scan here and I'll stop. How about? Toe rig or toe rag seventy seven. He was the one that asked, "Can U.S. citizens make purchases to have those items sent to Ukraine?" That's a good question. Sure, we'll do yep. that one. So toe rag seventy seven on Instagram. Shoot me uh, email. Tell me what you won, and uh, forge your. I got a, Yeah, one question that we didn't touch on. Uh, something that's super important, um, okay. especially in a war zone. Uh, Kevin, did you? Uh, did you notice or do you know of any, um, like, uh, overwhelming medical support or or people flooding in for uh, to help uh, the wounded? That's a good question. I, didn't want I mean, uh, they, they had some med gear, but as far as, like, other people, like, from other countries or uh, NGOs and stuff, flooding in there, no way. Because, I mean, no. when that cruise missile hits, a cruise missile is a huge thing. When it hits – hundred yards from you and blows you out of your bed, which I, it did. I was, <laughs> then you, you, you're not going to get people in there to do much. Uh, you know, so I mean, it's, it's, it's a scary, I've never experienced anything. I've, I've been in a lot of couple thousand missions, you know, and I've never experienced anything like it. So oh. pretty cool. So, okay. Well, that's eye opening as well. Cause, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of casualties over there because they just don't have supplies or, personnel to well there are, there are groups that are uh 
I guess people like myself that are in there delivering that stuff for those groups uh, because there's some great groups out there. I mean, Samaritan's Purse is one of them and they're really helping out. And so, but you need people like, I hate to say it like us that, you know, can get it in there and, you know, get it to who it needs to go yeah. to people that are, they're doing that, you know, but it's, it's not like they're setting up big hospitals and stuff and tents and, it's it's just it's too dangerous, you know, to really do that. Yeah, because right. the Russians are yeah. so sporadic in what they're hitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to put them in different places, and and it's not out in the tent. So anyway, so I'm glad you gotcha. brought that okay, up, yeah. Chad. Uh, for our our listeners who want to get some awesome med kits and IFAX kits, they can go to Medicine in Bad Places. I've got one of their kits right here. I'm showing to our video audience, um, and uh, you get. 20% off, I believe. Uh, yeah, 20% off. Leadhead 20. Go to Medicine and Bad Places. I was going to say they, I was gonna say they do now. You said 20%. <laughs> you can't go back from that. Leadheads, uh, go and show our guests the appreciation that they deserve for being on the show today, sharing their, their information. Uh, you can go to Cryptic. You can go to their website, cryptic.com. Brooks, you give your Instagram and all those other places where they can find Cryptic. Oh, Cryptic. Cryptek Outdoor Group, K-R-Y-P-T-E-K, Outdoor Group, are the official channels. There's lots of other Cryptek non-official channels on there, but uh, those are the places to go. Very good. And the website's cryptek.com. Just as simple as that. And you guys have some new stuff coming out? Got a lot of new stuff coming all right soon. Stay tuned. Yep coming up you'll hear it here first right on the talking Lead podcast because we sure. are the show for exclusives butch you know that <laughs> come on come on now kevin thank you for taking the time to be on and uh really appreciate sure. everything that you've done for this country and america good to be here thank you yes sir absolutely chad keltech talk about uh where all i can get in touch with uh, you and everything that keltech is doing and we're going to have you on soon to talk about that P-15. Sounds good. Yeah, so it's keltechweapons.com and uh, just K-E-L-T-E-C on all of our social media. Yeah, very good. And go show our sponsors, all our other sponsors, some love. Keltech is one of our sponsors. Uh, Seal One, go to sealone.com for all your gun cleaning needs. You go to sealone.com, use the code LEADHEAD, get 25% off. Uh Great product for corrosion resistance and cleaning and protecting all of your firearms. Leadhead, 25% off. 1776 United, get our official logo t-shirts and patches. Use the code TALKINGLEAD, get 20% off at 1776 United. Uh, Flatline Fiber Co., get some nice rifle slings, ear pro covers like I've got on right here. Uh, and use the code LEADHEAD, you're going to get 10% off at Flatline Fiber Co., uh, IWIUS, and Century Arms, sponsors of our AK Corner, which will be coming up next month, next episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner. Uh, I'll be dropping info on what we're, the subject will be on that. Uh, and then, of course, our good buddies over at Defiant Munitions, because you need little Pez dispensers to go, or Pez to go in your Pez dispensers. Defiant Munitions. Ammo, 10% off. Use the code LEADHEAD over at Defiant Munitions. So that does it for another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. Leadheads, you got questions, comments, 
Uh, guest suggestions, talkinglet at gmail.com. Love hearing from you. Until the next episode, keep your loved ones close. Keep your combat veterans closer. And your firearms, too. <laughs> Very good.